welcome to another episode of Ordinary Old Catholic Me. It is a warm and beautiful, sunny Saturday, Labor Day weekend here in California, and I am thinking of, and in some paradox, I am thinking about navigating evil and being on the right side of good and evil at the time of the end of the world. Well, maybe not so much of a paradox, for if I were to turn on my television or my radio or peer, which I have not yet done at my Facebook page, the beauty of this day, the warmth and sun and sense of peace would recede, would disappear, given the circumstances of our world. Maybe if things start turning around with a lot of prayer and God's active will, because right now it appears that uh, his permissive will is that we should drive ourselves into the ground, I will get back to more cheerful episodes. But for now, I am trying to figure out a way to survive as a very weak human being in a very, very difficult world. Although I returned to the Catholic faith in the early 1980s after a 13-year hiatus, which I have before described in this podcast, a summary of how I left and came back. I left because of a perfect storm of good parents who blessedly set me on the road to faith, but practiced none themselves. A society in transition between the 1960s and 70s, in which key social strictures broke down in favor of sex, drugs, and rock and roll, and rejection of any limitations or authority of a transcendent nature, and a church that transformed itself to accommodate it and my own teenage angst. And then I returned to the church that still was broken and deviating from its own rubrics, substantial and of a form. And of course, I didn't realize it. And I accommodated myself to the shadow of liturgical and doctrinal light faith, really in a way unconsciously, as everything around me and around us began again, as always happens in human history, to be consumed by the gentle but damning deceptions of the former light-bearer, Lucifer, now Satan. In both my secular and religious life, I did probably what most people of goodwill do, that is, somewhat not seeking to actually destroy the constitutional government nor the magisterium of the 2,000-year-old church, but I went along to get along. Oh, I profess and profess at some level my more conservative credentials, worldly and religiously speaking, but I didn't become what was needed, an activist, a secular lay soldier, or a soldier for Christ. I hoped that history, things like the dismantling of the English Catholic Church in the time of Henry VIII, with the cooperation of nearly every bishop except John Fisher, like the singling out of disapproved people which led to the Holocaust, Stalin, Purges, Pol Pot, and the various representatives of the Caliphate, might not 
repeat itself in my lifetime? How silly. This despite my own father telling me at a time when I was not yet a Catholic back in form and substance that I would see things get very bad indeed in the United States. He told me this in the 1960s. He told me again before he died over 13 years ago. I believed him. He was a keen observer of the world and nation, and even when he had not settled on faith, he was well versed in the history of faiths of all kind. But, you know, I just sort of dismissed it. But now, looking back, I have, like many or most of you, lived many decades of history, much disastrous. But only in this last twenty or so years has it really been as bad in every possible way, masked only by the illusion of plenty. No, not, not the illusion, but of plenty that we rather stupid, if you will, Americans, thought was unlosable, because primarily the truth has been replaced by your truth, this truth, their truth, and my truth depending on who had the power to determine and enforce the truth du jour. It used to be that only the most narcissistic and devious men, usually men, like it or not, but women are catching up and finding they are capable of just as much evil as men, imposed their truth while mankind fought and struggled with the truth. But mankind can no longer even see the truth. And even in what was considered the most civilized and wonderful of places, usually informed by the precepts and philosophies of Western civilization, which has been rendered virtually null and void, there is nothing. Truth itself has become a variable. We have become tribal purveyors of the truth. It touches everything even the smallest dealings with, say, your local service providers or your doctors. A friend, an older friend of mine, who needed to see a specialist, had someone call the specialist for her, one she's had for many years, and the person was told, she's not a patient. She ended up seeing someone else because of the insistence to more than just her friend that she wasn't their patient, and then months later she received a notice that her meds could not be renewed without an office visit to the doctor's office that had disavowed her and basically whether intentionally or not gaslighted her and other people or it touches the bigger things that men can be women and women can be men that abortion is a choice instead of the taking of the life of a human being which science actually says it is that it is a human being, I mean. Science, which is supported in a relativistic point of view when somebody chooses to support it, but not so when it's not part of your view of things, of your truth. Or, historically, in this very past week, that an obvious and horrendous modern-day Bay of Pigs or evacuation of Saigon was a most wonderful and successful mission to end a 20-year war in Afghanistan. Facebook, independent checkers of facts, tell us so. Our national spokespeople, tell us so. Shh, don't vary their truth. That's the other crazy-making thing. Their truth, once they speak it, transforms Presto, 
into the truth until, as inevitably they do, they change their minds. I won't dwell too long on masks. Still being, even increasingly, again, being worn here in California, that I'm beginning to think it's going to be touted as a permanent accessory no matter what happens to COVID. I know, I know, so many, perhaps many of you, feel strongly about it being a good. To me, though COVID is real, it's just as real as the endless number of conditions and accidents and diseases that can kill us every day. I mean, the fan above me that's circulating could fall on my head and cut off my head. But you don't stop living your life because of that reality. You take reasonable precautions. To me and to many others, this crisis, the reality of COVID, was one of those opportunistic crises that unsavory people who manipulate the truth, that ever so variable truth, use to dehumanize and restrain human beings. Do you know yesterday, as I was driving, I not only saw somebody in his car wearing a mask, but it was an N95 mask and he was alone in his car. Every time the disease has seemed to be on the wane, miraculously or diabolically, it comes back, now morphed into something that deals with the previous objections by folks who see something large amiss. What did the Prime Minister of New Zealand say to her citizenry? If it isn't from the government, it isn't the truth. Now there's something to hang your life on. And what about our Catholic leadership? Some of our priests, some of our bishops, the ones who vary the still extant dogma and are rewarded and praised, while others are relegated to exile. Where is God in all these discussions of public health or otherwise? He is, by his creatures, neatly wrapped up and put on the shelf, discarded and dusty. I'll tell you what I am on this beautiful and sunny summer ends day. I'm scared. Perhaps if I had begun an earnest prayer life when I returned to the practice of Catholicism, I would not be so scared. I'd be at peace with God's active or permissive will, even if it meant being front and center for the apocalypse, which seems imminent today and has seemed imminent through pretty much all of human history. I mean, it was imminent even to the apostles. Maybe that imminence is supposed to get the attention of our lazy souls in each generation. God really is the divine parent who gives us lots of chances to clean our spiritual rooms. I never seriously worried before, and believe me, worry is my default position for most parts of my life, about the idea that I might be here and not awaiting my judgment in the sleep of death when man's dispension of God and embracing of everything small and large that was evil as his own God, for God can do no wrong, isn't that so? When that happened, the smug and uh, wise of modern days would laugh at the idea that here and now is the new Sodom and Gomorrah. That's the thing I was thinking about pride. I was talking to someone yesterday that what I've noticed even since I was a little kid about someone who would do something that was obviously wrong or that I certainly felt that in light of history and morality and religion was definitely wrong, would be almost having this little smirk, this smirk of smugness. So it's not just pride, it's 
pride with a smugness that's actually kind of chilling. It sometimes comes even with a laugh. Think of all the politicians in our current administration who actually have this little laugh when they're challenged on something of reality or morality and they really don't have an answer so they give you this nervous laugh while they maintain this horrible position. The people in charge and those who follow are all making merry yet again in the most debased of ways presented as their truth and given enough power again transforms into the truth for the rest of us to be oppressed by. I feel it in my bones, and I think lots of other people do as well. There is such a dark, oppressive force deceiving men's eyes. I've mentioned the screw tape letters before by C.S. Lewis. The art of the devil in making evil so attractive. He did it from the very beginning with Adam and Eve. He has done it in the centuries past. You say, well, humanity is still here, yes, but how many chances do you think we get or deserve, if we deserve any? That is, if you believe there is a God who is watching the bacchanal of his creatures, and when will he have enough to really punish and make the final cut, separating the goats from the sheep, chaff from the wheat? Some of his creatures will have stayed faithful, Will I be one of them? Will you? If these are the end times, it will be arguably far worse than anything we can have ever seen in history or imagined in history. Am I crazy? Lots of you probably are saying yes. Oh yes, she's an idiot. She's like that person I mentioned a couple of weeks ago standing on a corner and saying the end is near, and she's a lunatic. Pass her by. There have been far greater prophets than I would ever be, so, and I'm not a prophet. I've become rather admiring of Taylor Marshall, and I know a lot of people don't admire him. They think he's a radical trad, but frankly, I've listened to him enough that I think he's very thoughtful and he knows his stuff. And one of the things he says, though, is that he's just a dad in a garage with a video camera. He does his show in a video format, and he has, a, a, I think, a well-deserved large viewership. I'm just a baby boomer senior citizen in Los Angeles broadcasting, well, podcasting. We don't broadcast anymore. You see? You see? I'm just an old, ordinary Catholic podcasting from my dining room in Los Angeles. But the discussion of evil in the end times hasn't been just the province of people like myself it's been something you'd see in great and deep thinkers touched by prophecy. Those people get my attention, particularly when my personal experience of history parallels the warnings of people far more perceptive and learned than I am. Such a one I ran across again this week. A thoughtful, learned individual, John Henry Newman. He's one of my favorite saints. I've liked him for years. I've talked about that before on this program. He wrote a tract on the end times, or he may have written about it in several locations that's been put together uh, in a small booklet form that I ran across this past week. It's called A Confederacy of Evil, and it's about the rise of, the times of, the religion of, and the city of the Antichrist 
these times to precede the second coming of Christ, by which time we will have each chosen our sides. Now, if you don't think you have to choose a side, I wish you well. And if I don't choose a side, I wish myself well too, because quite frankly, not choosing a side is a choice and has the applicable consequence. Newman speaks of other times in church and secular history. He's writing around 1900-ish, so he isn't privy to the depravities of World War I, II, Korea, Vietnam, Pol Pot, Mao, Che, North Korea, Iran, and obviously what's happening right now, in which the Antichrist, whom he and others view as likely an individual, seems to have appeared, but are, as he posits, were, as he posits, a shadow of the final tribulation at the hands of the certain Antichrist. Well, certain to some, most will be deceived. And do not think that I spare myself the terrifying possibility that I too will be deceived, or you will, no matter your view of your current faithfulness. It's scary enough to read in his booklet, the descriptions of some of whom Newman suggests were forerunners of the Antichrist in history. Before Christ, there was a king named Antiochus, who especially persecuted the Jews after conquering Egypt and made most of them discard their faith and practice paganism and simply killed those who declined. There was Julian in the apostate after Christ, circa 331 to 363 AD. He was a Catholic, in name, but during the time of the Arian heresy, which said Christ was not himself God, he began a mission to destroy and supplant the church, but he was killed in a battle before he could complete his task. The third is Muhammad, 600 years after Christ, and came after the church as well. People forget in their disapproval of the Crusades that it was the effort to protect the faith from those who would destroy it, not unlike the fact that Christians in current Arab countries are subject to torture and beheading now in this marvelous modern time of relative truth. Then there was the time of Robespierre, the French Revolution. There was liberté, égalité, and fraternité, the divinity separated from God, the trinity separate from God, that was a perversion of all three claimed goals. Reason became the enforcement of variable human ideas that made the guillotine a very tangible symbol. Now, Newman admits, as most people who do any kind of prophesying admit, that he may not have the entirely correct detail. This is, after all, mystical stuff. But just as the Jews at the time of Christ did not see who Christ was and rejected him, so does and will the people of today all of us, Jews, Christian, people with no affiliation, be deceived when the final Antichrist appears and prompted by the falling away, the true God will be relegated to moot, academic, and fictional status. Sound familiar? In a sense, from Newman's point of view, Rome still exists insofar as we are inheritors of lives in countries into which it broke up. And when they are fully engaged in apostasy, as me, little me, feels we're really, really, really close to right now, we are primed for the end times at the hands of a deceiver, 
par excellence, who embodies the essence of the devil we don't believe in, or a lot of people don't believe in. I believe in him. Let me read a portion of Newman's treatise. If this doesn't scare you, given that it was written more than a hundred years ago, what can anyone say? You can scoff. I'd be afraid to scoff when I compare what I read here to what I am experiencing, what perhaps you are experiencing right now. It's kind of long, but it really made an impact on me. These instances give us warning. Is the enemy of Christ and his church to arise out of a certain special falling away from God? And is there no reason to fear that some such apostasy is gradually preparing, gathering, hastening on in this very day? For is there not at this very time a special effort made almost all over the world that is every here and there more or less in sight or out of sight in this or that place but mostly visibly or formidably in its most civilized and powerful parts an effort to do without religion is there not an opinion avowed and growing that nation has nothing to do with religion that it is merely a matter for each man's own conscience which is all one with saying that we may let the truth fail from the earth without trying to continue it in and on after our time is there not a vigorous and united movement in all countries to cast down the church of christ from power and place is there not a feverish and ever busy endeavor to get rid of the necessity of religion in public transactions for example an attempt to get rid of oaths under a pretense that they are too sacred for affairs of common life instead of providing that they be taken more reverently and more suitably an attempt to educate without religion that is by putting all forms of religion together which comes to the same thing an attempt to enforce temperance and the virtues which flow from it without religion by means of societies which are built on mere principles of utility an attempt to make expedience and not truth the end and the rule of measures of state and the enactments of law an attempt to make numbers and not the truth the ground of maintaining or not maintaining this or that creed as if we had any reason whatever in scripture for thinking that the many will be in the right and the few in the wrong an attempt to deprive the bible of its one meaning to the exclusion of other to make people think that it may have an hundred meanings all equally good or in other words that it has no meaning at all is a dead letter and may be put aside an attempt to supersede religion altogether as far as it is external or objective as far as it is displayed in ordinances or can be expressed by written words to confine it to our inward feelings and thus considering how variable how evanescent our feelings are an attempt in fact to destroy religion surely there is at this day a confederacy of evil marshalling its hosts from all parts of the world organizing itself taking its measures enclosing the church of christ as in a net and preparing the way for a general apostasy from it whether this very apostasy is to give birth to the antichrist or whether he is still to be delayed as he has already been delayed so long we cannot know but at any rate this apostasy and all its tokens and instruments are of the evil one and savor of death 
far be it from any of us to be of those simple ones who are taken in that snare which is encircling around us. Far be it from us to be seduced with the fair promises in which Satan is sure to hide his poison. Do you think he is so unskillful in his craft as to ask you openly and plainly to join him in his warfare against the truth? No. He offers you baits to tempt you. He promises you civil liberty. He promises you equality. He promises you trade and wealth. He promises you a remission of taxes. He promises you reform. This is the way in which he conceals from you the kind of work to which he is putting you. He tempts you to rail against your rulers and superiors. He does so himself and induces you to imitate him. Or he promises you illumination. He offers you knowledge, science, philosophy, enlargement of mind. He scoffs at times gone by. He scoffs at every institution which reverses them. He prompts you what to say, and then listens to you, and praises you, and encourages you. He bids you mount aloft. He shows you how to become as gods. Then he laughs and jokes with you and gets intimate with you. He takes your hand and gets his fingers between yours and grasps them. And then you are his. Bear with me, I do have to read another segment at a later part of the treatise, uh, page 76 in the book I have. This is what I have to say about the last persecution and its signs. And surely it is profitable to think about it, though we be quite mistaken in the detail. For instance, after all, perhaps it may not be a persecution of blood and death, but of craft and subtlety only. Not of miracles, but of natural wonders and powers of human skill, human acquirements in the hands of the devil. Satan may adopt the more alarming weapons of deceit. He may hide himself. He may attempt to seduce us in little things, and so to move the Christians, not all at once, but by little and little from their true position. We know he has done much in this way in the course of the last few centuries. It is his policy to split us up and divide us to dislodge us gradually from off our rock of strength. And if there is to be a persecution, perhaps it will be then. Then, perhaps, when we are all of us in all parts of Christendom so divided and so reduced, so full of schism, so close upon heresy. When we have cast ourselves upon the world and depend for protection upon it, and have given up our independence and our strength, then he may be burst upon us in fury as God allows him. Then suddenly the Roman Empire, remember I said that that's the extension of our countries, may break up and Antichrist appear as a persecutor and the barbarous nations around break in. But all these things are in God's hands and God's knowledge, and there let us leave them. Okie dokie. Who is the braver of us, the one who says, This is all myth, there's no truth to it. These are lies, for they are not scientific. But we are good when we adjudge that abortion is effectively a sacrament, a visible sign of the essence of the rights of a woman that no one shall challenge, or that a twelve-year-old shall be given hormones to suppress his inborn genetic sex, or that one who says, I am chastened by these signs, is a fool for even mentioning these signs by the terrible history of man and who stupidly bows to the idea of a creator. I'll tell you what, I think in some ways they are the brave ones. They're willing to risk 
the eternity of hell and perdition. And if they think it was hard here, there is a place of unrelenting sadness and separation and hopelessness to spend all of non-time in. Or one could look at it as a form of foolish bravery. It doesn't secure the life or soul of another. It is merely a stubborn adherence to being one's own God. And if there is an actual God, that it is supremely self-destructive of body and soul. But that's where free will comes in. We have the freedom to condemn ourselves or to accept the gift of heaven. Again, I don't want to be unclear here. If you think I believe I've got it made, how wrong you would be. I think if truth be told, that's what terrifies me more. Not all these things that are going to happen that I believe are going to happen, but that when they do happen, I will run to the wrong side. It is hard enough now to continue to believe the truths of the faith because so many don't and so many of them are of my faith, presumably. And as I said, I left before. It's not inconceivable that some event would cause me to turn away from God. And it scares me because I've had moments in many years that I have simply been able to look to God. And that's where the danger lies. If it seems that I think I'm better than anyone, oh my Lord, I am not. I'm a person who would rather take the easiest way out as it is presented to me up front, even if that means some terrible consequence later. I have the gift of rationalization. I use it often, and that's why I need to go to confession. And I don't go nearly enough. What I need to be praying for is the gift of faithfulness to God, no matter what happens around me. And for what it's worth, I recommend the same to my fellow Catholics and to others, to anyone, to all people of goodwill who see that we are devolving quickly, that the temptation is there for me, for you, for all of us to devolve along with it. I think I said earlier that I was talking to a friend the other day about what I was going to be doing for this podcast. And as I explained it to him, he said, and more importantly, what I said is that I was so afraid that when it came time to choosing sides, my weakness was such that uh, I could easily just go the wrong way, even though I know better. And he said, oh, you remember I sent you this prayer from Claude de la Colombière. And he had, and I don't recall whether I read it or not. And I don't think I told him whether I recalled it or not at the time. I went back and I actually couldn't find the email that he sent me, but I found the prayer on the net. And as of last night, uh, before going to bed, I actually said it. And I offer it to you, my podcasting audience, however many there are of you. I have noticed more hits. I find doing this podcast helps me spiritually, I think, keeps me hanging on to the threads of our Lord's garments. And I hope it does the same thing for you or for some of you. More would be nice, I hope. So here's the prayer by Claude de la Colombière that I recommend to you. You can find it on the internet. My God, I believe most firmly that thou watchest over all who hope in thee 
and that we can want for nothing when we rely upon thee in all things. Therefore I am resolved for the future to have no anxieties, and to cast all my cares upon thee. People may deprive me of worldly goods and of honors. Sickness may take from me my strength and the means of serving thee. I may even lose thy grace by sin, but my trust shall never leave me. I will preserve it to the last moment of my life, and the powers of hell shall seek in vain to wrestle it from me. Let others seek happiness in their wealth, in their talents. Let them trust to the purity of their lives, the severity of their mortifications, to the number of their good works, the fervor of their prayers. As for me, O my God, in my very confidence lies all my hope. For thou, O Lord, singularly hast settled me in hope. This confidence can never be in vain. No one has hoped in the Lord and has been confounded. I am assured, therefore, of my eternal happiness, for I firmly hope for it, and all my hope is in thee. In thee, O Lord, I have hoped. Let me never be confounded. I know, alas, I know but too well that I am frail and changeable. I know the power of temptation against the strongest virtue. I have seen stars fall from heaven and pillars of firmament totter. But these things alarm me not. While I hope in thee, I am sheltered from all misfortune, and I am sure that my trust shall endure, for I rely upon thee to sustain this unfailing hope. I haven't mastered, or even broached, really, hope and trust, and I have to beg God's grace and his largesse to fuel me. I need it more than, I don't want to say most people, but I certainly need it. I need it. I think we all need it. Trust and hope are two very difficult things in the human existence. So do pray. Pray this or some other prayer like it every night because hopefully upon repetition, upon habit, upon grace, it will come to thee, to thee, to me. And when our time comes to choose God or the devil, we will choose a way that leads us to heaven and not to perdition. And so ends another Ordinary Old Catholic Me. I hope I didn't depress you too much. I hope it comes with hope. If you're enjoying this show, please follow me, like me, maybe make a comment or two ask a question, suggest a topic, and I hope to see you next week.